Welcome to our very first Boise Dev podcast. We'll do these about once a month, and our first guest is a special one. It's Governor Brad Little, who was inaugurated just last month. We talked about growth, transportation, local option tax, urban renewal, and even climate change in a wide-ranging conversation taped earlier this week in the governor's office. You will find a story up on our site, of course, and here's the audio. It's a Boise Dev First members exclusive. You are listening to the Boise Dev Podcast. Development, growth, and exclusive interviews from Idaho's number one business news site. BoiseDev.com. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. So I think Marissa kind of prepped you a little bit. She um, did. And so I write BoiseDev.com, which focuses on... I read your stuff. Thank you. Even the stuff the other guys steal from you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you get it secondarily, right? Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot going on here. And the coverage during the race was not super focused on development and growth. And so I thought it would be an interesting chance to get you on the record on a few things and just let people hear what you're thinking. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to kind of just start with a, a broad question. Um, you know, Idaho has always been a rural state and continues to be, uh, but the urban area here in the Boise Valley is just seeing a ton of growth. How do you see building solutions that benefit Idahoans who live both in the urban areas and the rural areas so that they feel heard and that their needs are balanced? Well, it's hard for government, the governor, whatever, to um, significantly move the direction because growth is a combination of a dozens and dozens of things. I mean, uh, I always, one of the stories I talk about is <coughs> Governor Otter always used to talk about Chobani and when Chobani came to Idaho, neither Butcher or I knew what the hell Greek yogurt was. <laughs> and it wasn't like we woke up one morning. I mean, you create an atmosphere, which is what you try to do. And then entrepreneurs, either existing ones growing here or new ones coming in, take advantage of it. Now, when you come to a fork in the road about a decision, you always try and make that decision to where it allows those entrepreneurs or the community to grow. And I think that's what's happening. A lot of the growth here is just by default, people getting out of other places. It's just better to do business in the Treasure Valley and Idaho than it is in other states uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, we all complain, we indigenous Idahoans, about the cost of housing, but everybody I know that's moving here just can't talk enough about how affordable housing is. When I talk to my friends in the technology industry, that's one of their best pieces of bait is affordable housing. Well, what's affordable housing to somebody that's in Seattle, Austin, or California is unaffordable to us. Right. Uh, so, um, and for the most part, the urban part of Idaho is doing quite well now. There can always be more. Uh, as far as rural Idaho, I think there's two things we need to do. Add value to existing industries and B, diversify their economy. You know, a community is dependent upon potatoes or cattle or dairy or sawmills. Uh, um, Twin Falls is getting diversified enough yes. now that they've got a little more resilience than some of these other communities. Um, and, and I talked about this in Idaho Falls Saturday, is that uh, diversifying rural Idaho is really important to me because that's how it, um, every day entrepreneurs eliminate jobs. 
you know, they mechanize, they, they, they may not even mechanize, they may just have their existing employees work smarter and takes less labor. So uh, that's why you need to add value or create new, uh, new industries, which, you know, serves as a um, home for spouses of existing industries and serves as a place for kids to come back and work. So, um, the one thing the state has to do is is provide infrastructure uh, or facilitate infrastructure. Um, cities, counties, highway districts, they do a lot of it, but that's one of the things we need to do. So when you look at, <clears throat> there's a lot there, but when you look at housing prices, they're on their way up. You probably saw the headlines recently about rental rates. People are getting priced out of being able to move and change homes as their families grow and shift. Are there specific things the state can do to sort of help that? Obviously, relatively still very affordable compared to California well, or Seattle. But it's, but. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we proposed our first time home buyers uh, uh, savings account so that um, it does two things. It, you know, gives. I would love to see the federal government. If the federal government would piggyback on what ourselves and Montana and several other states, I'm hoping we're going to do it here in Idaho, uh, that would really move the needle. If it was exempt both on the federal level and the state level, uh, because it does two things. A, it gets people in houses earlier, and B, it plants the seed in people's mind that it's important to save money. Um, uh, you know, that having that first down payment uh, is is really important because then they get in it and if the value goes up, maybe the house they want to move to costs more, but the value of theirs is going up. It's a hedge against housing, owning a house and having enough equity in it. But if you don't have any equity in it, then you have what happened to us in 2009 and 10 where we had these record dis- uh, foreclosures and it really disrupts the economy. Uh, I believe that the federal government um, and the banking industry is we're not going to have a wreck like we did in 2008 because you don't have people buying homes with zero money down uh, and that's a good thing <laughs> if if they had if we had the same banking rules today as we had back in 2007 uh, we'd have much higher uh, inflation than we do right now in housing price the Boise Dev podcast is brought to you by anchor Anchor is a free platform for podcasts like this one. It allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can even add in songs from Spotify to help spice up those episodes. Anchor will make sure that your podcast is distributed pretty much everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with an ad like this. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So I, as I was preparing for this, I cast a wide net for questions, and one of the members of my site asked about the um, Idaho Housing Trust Fund, which I actually wasn't really familiar with, established in 92 by the legislature. And there's no money in it. And there's no money in it. Right. Here we are 27 years later with without any cash. Do you see that as something maybe there's a way to do there, or is that just well, kind of a dead I, issue? I mean, uh, if, if somebody would propose putting money into it, I'd look at it. It's, uh, you know, but it's competing with education funding and what we're doing in corrections and mental health and and Medicaid expansion. And it's just one of those issues that um, we, 
it's got to compete with a lot of other great causes. And that's why I look at the first time home buyers is uh, there'll be a little impact because it'll be a little less uh, income tax coming into the pool, uh, but it's still the right incentive to the right people. Uh, I believe by offering that, the people that really want to be invested in Idaho want to live here, they're the ones that are going to utilize that and and want to stay here. Uh, we've got some programs at Idaho Housing and Finance. Uh, some of them are pretty good programs, and our department of uh, or Idaho Housing and Finance, uh, they provide quite a bit of affordable uh, housing opportunities, not near as much as everybody would like, but they're, they do a good job. With growth comes transportation challenges. Something you see it talked about a lot here. <clears throat> Mayor Tammy's State of the City, she discussed it uh, a few weeks ago or last week, and obviously Mayor Peter talks about it in Canyon County. It's a big issue. Um, how do we build solutions from a state level that help keep the quality of life that we all love here? And and what solutions do you see out on the horizon? Well, we're going to need more money. I, I, you know, I took a bit of a risky position in the primary uh, compared to my opponents. I said, we got to have more money. Uh, my opponents said no new money. And I now I'm not exactly sure what that's going to take. And I've got to get it through the Idaho legislature. And so I've I've been sparring with my legislative friends about, you know, what what works and what doesn't work. But there's some other things we need to do. Um, I believe that we ought to have more um, right away limits and you got to put those in early. Um, those of us that have been in the Boise Valley for a long time remember Eagle Road when it first opened up. We thought, this is great. Yeah. Big and, wide road. Yeah, yeah. And we're never, why did they build this? And, and so, uh, and Utah has a little different rules than we do about uh, limited access roads. We need to let everybody know that when we put in one of these big road improvements, uh, that it's our intent that that be open um, uh, to where there's not a curb cut on it every, um, you know, 300 feet. Right. Every uh, that we've got frontage and backage roads. I was an advocate for that when I was in the Senate. And uh, that's part of the problem we have at Pole Line Road in Twin Falls, at Highway 95 in Coeur d'Alene, obviously Eagle Road, obviously State Street. Uh, a lot of those major corridors we've just got. And, well, Eagle Road's a good example because we put it in, we had a wide open, we got too many curb cuts, and then they had to put those traffic, which looks to me like, uh, have helped. Helped, yeah. And they were expensive, but we had to put them in early. So controlling access, uh, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to uh, a hot lane on the freeway, a high occupancy uh, transit lane to where um, multiple... Uh, vehicles with multiple people used them to, um, but you can't take it out of existing capacity. You got to put it in new capacity. So I think, I mean, I think that's newsworthy, right? HOV lanes are currently not something that are okay. Well, in the law, are you saying that you think that? No, that I'm change? saying that in as we expand, um, but that goes back to the right of way. If we wouldn't allow two things, we wouldn't allowed people to build very valuable property right up next to the other road if we would have set it aside early and B, we put utilities right next to the edge of the road. So if, you, if you've if you got utilities just on the first 
six inches of you got to pay to move the utilities if you buy it. If they put them on our, our ground, we get to move them. These are all access issues that we need from a policy standpoint to implement. We implement them. It takes a long time to get the benefit. But if we implemented them 20 years ago, uh, we wouldn't the necessity for Highway 16 wouldn't be as great because Eagle Road wouldn't be as plugged up. Um, uh, all of those wouldn't have the problem. So so you see it as a, let's make good decisions now to save us money down yeah, the road. Exactly. Frontage and backage roads, uh, limited access. Um, and I'm still a student of transit. I, I think we're going to have to have transit um, you know, and I see the cities giving vouchers for people to ride the bus. Um, it's still, but there's things happening via the market that are addressing that. Most of the new industrial development in the Treasure Valley are at Caldwell. <laughs> they're at the other end of the valley where their workforce doesn't have to use the freeway, where they can get more affordable help, where there's more affordable real estate. That's the free market answering some of these infrastructure problems. Uh, they're, they're, if, if you go out to Caldwell, to that industrial park out there, there's all kinds of things happening there. There's not much industrial property around Boise. It's just a result of uh, there's better workforce, uh, it's less congested. That's the market solving some of these problems. So what do you think then? The city of Boise is established in a rural area, and that's obviously kind of its own topic, but they're trying to drive industrial development south of town. Do you think that's an appropriate place oh, for yeah. that? Or? I mean, that's that's local government doing what they're supposed to do. Is And, you know, and the one freeway exit that we've got capacity on is Eisenman, Eisenman Canyon. And so that would be a natural place to put uh, a development out there is because you've got uh, capacity on that. Uh, you, you surely don't want to do it at, at Eagle Road or you don't want to do it at Meridian. Uh, you want to put the development where there's capacity. And and we've got rail out there. I don't know what's going to happen on the rail uh, facility, but uh, that's a good place for development. So let's kind of maybe shift back to transportation a little bit. I saw you on foot the other day uh, coming down Capitol Boulevard. And what's a what's a commute for you look like on a, on a typical day? Well, uh, if I'm in Emmett, it's yeah. I'm, Not on in, foot. Yeah. I'm in with the mob, uh, but I've got an apartment downtown. So it's a, a pretty simple commute. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I'm in Emmett, I'm 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 in the same mob as everybody else. And that's uh, um, and. I do know that I can get from Emmett to Boise or Boise to Emmett at uh, uh, 5 o'clock on Sunday morning without much problem. Right. <laughs> but probably not 5 p.m. Right, on Tuesday afternoon. I can almost make it if I time it just right with with no or only one lie. <laughs> so as you see these cities trying to struggle with State Street and it's, it's Boise and it's Garden City and it's Eagle and it's Meridian and they're all trying to kind of figure out what do we do with this? Um, do you see the ways the state can help with that? Are there are there levers that you can pull here that help those cities go, boy, we've got a pretty big bottleneck here that we're trying to fix? Uh, yeah, but we've got them all over the state. I mean, uh, uh, Sandpoint, uh, uh, Coeur d'Alene, uh, Lewiston at certain times, uh, Moscow at certain times, uh, obviously uh, Caldwell and Nampa. Uh, you know, we've got... 
our distribution of curb cuts off of the freeway, uh, some communities are well blessed with them and some of them have very limited uh, access. There's getting to be quite a congestion problem in, in Twin Falls. Yeah. Blue Lakes and yeah. other places. Um, one of the ways that a lot of people locally here look at is, you kind of mentioned the, the bus system. It's not a very developed thing here. I think the, the Ketchum Rapid Transit system is maybe uh, easier to use than it is here. The, the mayors of Boise and Meridian, Caldwell, Nampa, even Twin Falls have all said, we would love a local option tax. We would love the ability to ask our citizens to add a penny or two to the sales tax so that we can fund things like, you know, uh, high-speed transit, rail, buses, alternatives, and that's really gone nowhere here in the state house. Well, they're, they're I mean... Uh, local government controls property tax. They can do it through property tax. But nobody wants to raise property tax. Ada County, which is the only uh, state county statewide, uh, they can do it uh, through registration. So there are some avenues that exist. Uh, my issue with uh, um, local option tax is the devil's in the details. How do you... You know, hypothetically, let's just put a local option tax at the Boise Town Square Mall and the mall at Nampa. Well, that means that those narrow areas with lots of retail get really rich. And people from elsewhere that shop there help build out that infrastructure. Um, Ken Harward, who used to run the Association of Cities years ago, um, he and I had come to an accord on it that any kind of local option tax needs to be broad to where you minimize what I call the fringe effect. That, you know, if you have a sales tax, do you move the car dealers out of Boise? Uh, then where do you put the line? Do you move the ORV and the, the motorcycle dealers? And then do the appliance people move? It needs to be broad enough to where it doesn't cause uh, the, fr the fringe effect and the unintended consequences. Um, overnight, uh, uh, retail space on the edge of that line will get to be worth more. Um, now, if it's half cent, um, but, you know, it depends upon how you open it up and how big it can be. Um, that's one model. The other model is to have a, is the uh, Arizona model where you have sales tax for transportation and it's statewide and you distribute it all over and it goes on into the funding formula. Uh, our transportation problems in Idaho are a result is that we've got twice as many miles of road per person as Oregon, Washington, and Utah. The other two surrounding states, Wyoming and Montana, underwrite their roads with with carbon tax, tax on fossil fuels and extraction. Uh, we are always challenged for funding uh, uh, transportation in Idaho. It's just, uh, and, and look at this part of the state south, We've got all these canals because of our irrigation network, which create more bridges, which are more expensive than roads to maintain. Um, it's a road and infrastructure maintenance in Idaho, just by the very shape of the state, the nature of the state, the fact that 60% of the state, there's no tax generated from it is always a challenge. And collectively, the legislators got to get together and decide they're the ones that uh, have to raise or lower taxes. 
they know I'm all in on something for transportation. We just don't know what it is. Right. But if it's local option, it's got to be very broad. So you could see local option working if the details were right. done in a way that right. that didn't kind exactly. of cause some of those effects that you talk about. Um, there's been kind of an increasing tension between um, state government and some of the cities, um, particularly the one that the state house sits in, right? And um, Boise's expressed frustration with the state. I actually hear from their spokesperson. Actually, all the time. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You, you've just been paying attention. I've been around longer than you have. <laughs> yeah, that's as long as I can remember. But they've expressed some frustration with the state on taking regulation over Airbnbs or ride-sharing apps. And, um, you know, I think there's uh, some legislation in the works right now that would would take some, some authority away in a couple ways. You just represent a single branch, but are there ways that the state house and city halls can maybe be a little more cohesive? Uh, we to should be get to I solutions. Mean, we should, you know. I talked to the counties. Uh, there was a recent OPE uh, audit. Um, I've read. I didn't read all of it, but I read quite a bit of it uh, that points some of these things out. When you talk about the Airbnb and the uh, uh, the lift bill. And uh, remember, that was the legislature reacting to something Boise did. So, hands-free driving. So, so many yeah. times, what the legislature does is react to something that happens somewhere. And because we can't write special legislation, the legislature can't write special legislation. And I'm not a big fan of this, but somebody somewhere does something, and then the whole state has to live with it. But because in our constitution, you can't write, you can't say only Boise or only Emmett or only Ketchum. Uh, so everybody has to deal with it. I know that there's a problem with the uh, Uber bill in the fact that the Uber drivers are plugging up the weight lane at the airport. I've seen it, yeah. And because uh, 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 Senator Jordan was telling me about it, and that was an unintended consequence of what was the legislature saying, you got to let these Uber guys try and do something. I, I understand where it comes from. I, uh, I'm i not a fan of different levels of government arguing. Yeah. It makes us look petty. Do you, I mean, do you, you, you mentioned talking to Senator Jordan. Do you, do you talk to Mayor DeVere and Mayor Beater on it? Oh, oh yeah. Every yeah. time they, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's getting pretty bad. They, if you have a city's meeting or a county's meeting, they never talk about what the state just did for them. Uh, it's it's basically pointing fingers at another branch or another uh, level of government about how, you know, we're all great and I'm a, you know, people ordinary people, just classify us as quote government. And that's why we got to work together to get things done. It's it's not it's not conducive for just like the House and Senate people outside of two blocks of where I'm sitting right now. It's just the Idaho legislature. The great masses out there is just all government and city and county and you know here we've got you know in Ada County we've got you know specific highway district. Uh, in, uh, I don't think the friction between the city of Boise and the legislature is any different than the friction between them and ACHD. And they got to remember when their fingers <laughs> point at somebody, they got a couple fingers pointing back at themselves. So you, uh, I think you turned some heads a few weeks ago by acknowledging climate change 
And, um, you know, I, I, the, I think that the AP headline called it surprising or, you know, um, uh, do you, what, what first shaped your thinking on this? And I, I'll get to why that kind of nexus is with gross, growth, but. Well, I was, it wasn't in my talk. It was a, in response to the last question. Yeah. And I says, yes, the, in, in my experience, my lifetime, the climate is warmed and and the variability's gone up. Uh, one of the things that I do as a leader every Monday is look at the snowpack report because for municipalities, really for uh, for agriculture, for food processing, for economic development, for recreation, for skiing, uh, the snow, and we know that the season that snow stays on the ground is getting smaller. Our snow, I think today we're almost over 100%, up to 100% everywhere. But if it gets, if it gets hot in April and May, it's gonna have an impact on the state. We know that that is a more reoccurring issue. Now, I'm not going to pontificate about what I what causes it, but you know, when we come to a fork in the road, if we can put less pollution in the air and and minimize the effect, we ought to do it. Uh, I don't have a magic wand, but not recognizing it uh, is, I think just not doing your job it's it exists out there uh, the exact cause of it the exact trajectory of it there's incredible scientists that you know disagree over the rate the time but it's happening and it's our job as leaders to say when we come to a fork in the road we have to make a decision if it's to keep the air cleaner if it's to you know one of the things that's real important in Idaho is that we minimize these big catastrophic fires uh, nobody likes to smoke in the summers um, it's it's universal uh, and and people agree that we ought to manage uh, these forests people agree that we probably ought to do maybe some control burning at the time of year when we can manage it and it doesn't have a big uh, negative uh, impact uh, these are things that we need to do and we need to get on with it instead of arguing about it here in the valley we obviously although this winter we've been lucky but we often suffer from inversions and in the summer it's become an increasing pattern to see smoke not just here in the valley but all across the region when you look at inversions a lot of that is is fueled by the carbon coming from vehicles and with growth people start to stretch out and they're living further away because housing prices are high so they may have to live in, in emmet or they have to live in star and they drive in and they create more carbon does that make you think boy these transportation solutions really all tied together a, a little bit but but as i alluded to uh, you know we need more jobs then we mean need more jobs in caldwell and middleton and uh to to keep that precious capacity the most expensive part of the whole highway system is i-84 out here you know to add another lane it's in the hundreds and hundreds of millions and uh um but generally what happens is you get to a, uh, a certain congestion level and then market forces take place. If, if I'm going to uh, create a bunch of jobs, uh, I, for me to recruit people, 
uh, I probably don't want an eight to five job uh, where you depended upon the interstate to get there. And so market forces will have some impact on it. Uh, I remember when fuel went to $4 a gallon, and uh, there were very few, the, the number of single head cars went way down. People started carpooling as a result of, of the fuel prices. And I know in Emmett, uh, the barometer was a parking lot used to be full of sedans. Uh, the teachers, were, which were mainly uh, wives, were driving to school and their husbands that were working in Boise were driving the three-quarter ton pickup. When fuel went to $4 a gallon, the parking lot at the schools were full of three-quarter ton pickups and the cars were going back and forth to Boise just because of high fuel prices. Some of those things will take care of themselves uh, from the market, but you know we should be concerned about it. Uh, I remember a day about 40 years ago, in fact, I think almost 40 years ago this year or next year, we had an inversion from uh, January 26th to February 13th or 14th. Never, ever saw the sun. Uh, out where I was ranching out in Emmett, barbed wire that was six inches apart grew solid with hoarfrost. Wow. And, and, uh, and uh, up at uh, Hilltop, which was above the inversion, it was like mini Boise there and people going up to Bogus Basin to get above the inversion. Party. So I've, <clears throat> we, have, we haven't had a real bad inversion year. Like we've had two or three of those in my lifetime. Uh, but you know, how we burn wood is different. The fuel, the, uh, the output of our tailpipes are way better. The output of industry is phenomenally better. Uh, you know, I remember the Nampa sugar plant when uh, there was a huge plume around there and it's nothing compared to what it used to be. Uh, we've done, we've done a lot of, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do more going forward, but uh, you know, Clean Air Act and just the pressure on industry to be cleaner and the car industry to be cleaner is a good thing. I'm going to be respectful of your time. i got two more questions for you. One's a nitty-gritty and one's a big picture. What do you think of urban renewal districts and how they're used in the state? And they're obviously seeing some growth in that lately. What do you think of that? We've, you know, there's... I don't know if there's an urban renewal bill this year. If there's not, it'd be a first. There's usually an urban renewal bill every year. And the anti-urban renewal people show up, and the people that have used urban renewal show up. I, I'm in the camp that we ought to change the name of urban renewal to what it is, and that's used for economic development. And, and then really keep urban renewal for, quote, a blighted area, which is what the intent of it was to begin with. You know, tax increment financing is a method that we use a lot. Uh, I think some areas uh, don't use it within the intent of the law, and I think some people do. I always talk about Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls. Coeur d'Alene, for some reason, almost everybody hates urban renewal, and in Post Falls, everybody likes it. But in Post Falls, they do it for a limited amount of time and then start giving the money back. In Twin Falls, they, uh, and I think it's getting, or in, in uh, Coeur d'Alene, they have problems with it. I think Pocatello's got one of the oldest urban renewal uh, districts. Uh, people on urban renewal boards just need to be cognizant 
that what they do passes what would be called the the political uh, smell test. Uh, if it doesn't, if if they're doing what they said they were going to do, uh, they should. But but everybody that has anything to do with urban renewal needs to be careful. Just came from a CCDC meeting just a few minutes ago, so it's always interesting to hear about that. So, kind of to wrap up, Idaho is a special place to anybody who lives here, whether it's been a year, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. How do we, as it grows, how do we protect that and ensure that it's still a great place to live that people want to be and stay? Well, I mean, you've got two opposing forces. Uh, You've got... uh, not in my backyard. I want it just the way it was forever. And some of the worst people to do that are the ones who just moved here. Um, uh, but then you've got uh, managed growth. And uh, one of the sayings I talk about all the time is change is inevitable. Adaptation and survival are optional. And and you've got to adapt to that. If you're going to have a, uh, you know, if you're going to have growth, let's try and manage it as best we can. Uh, and, and sometimes what they do to limit growth exacerbates growth because it moves it somewhere where it's not managed at all. And uh, the, But those decisions are best made at the local level. Um, people have to decide how they want to craft their communities. And... You know, whether they want them to be the, you know, CUNA is a good example. Uh, CUNA was, was always kind of a rodeo out there. Now CUNA's concerned about growth. And they're getting their arms around it. Meridian was that way. There was a time when Meridian, there was no bad development of Meridian. <laughs> and now look at what they're talking about doing in Meridian. You know, Boise being the the biggest urban area. And, and Boise is really, really unique because it's constrained by the Boise foothills, by by Eagle, by Garden City, by Meridian, by CUNA. So, yeah. so uh, Boise's unique. Most other cities have uh, more room to grow. So uh, Boise's unique in that area is that they're they're very limited on, and that's why they're building up instead of out. And uh, when you build up, you've got higher densities, but we're going to solve all those problems with scooters. Well, on that note, (laughs) Governor, thank you. I appreciate the time. All right, Don, thank you.